Hi, and welcome back to Real Opinions. It's another week where we'll vaguely try to find a topic to ramble about. I'm here with Harrison. Harrison is here. <laughs> Harrison, are you in the room with us? <laughs> if so, please move something. Just do your weird laugh. It's <laughs> the kind of laugh that you can imagine, like, echoing through the halls of an abandoned hospital. <laughs> so it, it does fit. That's, if like if you if I do ever pass and you are trying to get in touch with me and you want to know if it's really me or an evil spirit like can I just stop you there I'm not gonna need to get in touch with you I think we've got like all of our things sorted now I've <laughs> I think we, there's there's no matters that I need to pick up on no paperwork to be filled or anything I don't know what it would be that would be the guaranteed laugh to just pull out and be like, I would know that that would be the thing to set off your, your ghoul oh. spirit. Oh, right. Like, like when other people might want to know or, or like get to the, a real person, they would like pick up on like a sentimental memory. Yes, exactly. But, yes. but with us, you have no sentimental memories. So it's just what will make me laugh. <laughs> I have to pick something like offensive or just generally, uh, I'll just feel this really shrill laughter from the beyond. Um, in case you haven't realised, this is a film podcast where we occasionally talk about films. Um, well, we we talk about films a lot more than a lot of film podcasts, to be fair. Yeah. The last time we recorded was really like a big catch-up thing. Yeah, we talked about a lot of films. We, we yeah, just... you covered quite a few, yeah. And I, I remember thinking there were a couple I didn't even, like, that we just sort of brushed aside because of time, but I don't even remember what they were now, which is useful. Um, one I would like to hear more about from you is American Animals. Ah, yeah. Because you really liked about. that. And I know you really liked it. And then I ha you haven't really mentioned it at all. You haven't covered it in a review or anything. No, it's because I felt too positive about it. And I was like, what's the point in talking about right. What's the point in talking about something I like? <laughs> like when, I, <laughs> when, I, when I could be ranting for the seventh time about the crimes of Grindelwald. Yeah, exactly. When it's it's not going to be twenty minutes, or no, sorry, forty minutes of me having to cut down <laughs> you trying to somehow explain the plot of a film that you just described as very hard to describe. Yeah, uh, well, American Animals is it's it's hard to classify, but not 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 it's not going to be a, re a repeat of that uh, Grindelwald yeah. thing. The reason <laughs> it's hard so. to classify is just because it's it's quite unique. It's sort of a documentary. I think that I would call it a documentary if I had to give it... If I had to assign one genre, it would be a documentary, but it's a documentary that is primarily constructed uh, out of reconstructions. So it's like, you know, like if you take a documentary that has reconstructions in it and they're usually like 10% of the overall experience, here right, it's And they're inverse. very cheesy normally. Yeah, here it's inversed and the reconstructions are excellent. So yeah. it's it's a bit I suppose you could call it like a docudrama, like those things like United Ninety Three or Bloody Sunday, like the Paul Green early Paul Greengrass films. Right, right. And it's the true story of um like in the early two thousands, like two thousand and two, some um like privileged, affluent kids at university in America who had no nothing like wrong with their lives like they were successful they had opportunities they were like go their lives were like heading in a in a good direction it, mm. it, the one of the sort of themes of the film is that being ordinary isn't like good enough for this generation and everyone needs to excel and be special and that like just having a satisfying life where you have a decent job and you have a family and you can 
look after yourself isn't really that kind of makes you a loser and you need to be like yeah. an extra step above and they they were like dr- had this existential dread about going into adult life even though everything was going to be fine for them like they had they more or less had a guaranteed secure future but they wanted to be like something more and what they decide to do is rob their university because it has the world's most uh, highly valued book in it. Uh, it's a, a naturalist book talking about the birds of America, like the native birds that live in America. And for some reason, it's the most valuable book on the planet. And it's guarded by one librarian who just sits in a room all day, um, like, in case someone wants to just come and have a look at this book. And they plan this elaborate heist to try and steal it. Not because they need it, not because they need the money or anything like that, just because they want to do something more than what everyone else is doing. Um, and for the first like half of the film, that's what it, it's them planning the heist. And it, it kind of gets you, at least from my perspective, I felt like A, I understood where they were coming from, and B, it, it sells you on the idea that this would be kind of fun. Because they don't, it doesn't seem like to any of them like they're really going to go through with it. It's just this hypothetical thing where they're going, wouldn't it be fun if? Right. And it, it sells you on how fun it would be to like just jokingly case a joint and like come up with an escape mm. plan and they're just hanging out like friends. It would. And it, it is, yeah. would be. Um, but then without spoiling too much, I, I, the, the, the whole, from minute one, they're telling you this story, the actual guys who did it. So, you know, that if they're in a position to tell you the story, they probably didn't get away with it. But (laughs) as, um, as things, as things kind of descend further and further, it, it loses that fun sheen. And all of the glossiness um, kind of fades away and the the style of the film changes and it becomes a lot more realistic and grounded as things start to go wrong and it descends into, it gets quite poignant. It takes a story that could very easily, because of what happened, could have easily been like a farce, like one of those, you won't believe what happened kind of films where it's like, it's funny because these people were idiots, but it actually takes it very seriously and looks at like what these people did, why they did it, and the impact it had. Even though no one gets killed or anything like that, they show you how much it has like ruined certain people's lives. And it takes it very seriously and it comes at it from a a very like mature and sophisticated place. And by the end, I was surprised by just how affecting it became. I think the reason I loved it so much was because... A, um, it's stylistically unlike anything else I've ever seen. Like they have bits where the characters interact with the um, the subjects of the documentary. So there's like a That's scene. Cool. There's like a scene where one of them goes, "Like, is this how you remember it?" To the guy who actually was there, and they sort of like right. reconstruct the film and do it again based on different people's testimony. Like, because everyone tells the story right. a little differently. So you see it again, and they like do clever little fourth wall breaking things like that. Okay, so kind of like an extension of you know the um, at the beginning of the Wolf of Wall Street, where like he's driving down the highway and he says like this is me, and yeah. he goes, actually the car is red and it changes the car. Yes, like, it yes, actually like does that. Change well, there's, the shot. there's actually a bit that's basically the same as that, where a color yeah. a color does change. But it's more about how their different perspectives yeah. are changing the story. Yeah, I Tonya is the, the one that everyone's compared it to. Uh, lots of people have mentioned that. Yeah, have you seen that at all? No. 
the thing is, is that with the Itonia thing is that it's, that's very like from the way that people were describing it, I was expecting it to be more of an aspect. Like right. I was expecting them to come into the scenes and things like that, like the way that you've described to this one. Right. Um, because it, but it is mainly like that one. It's like 90% Tonya's story. And then occasionally one of the other characters will turn to the camera and say, that's not how I remember it, but they don't right. go into that fully. So it's not right. like a full developed thing as opposed to how it sounds in this film. Yeah, it, it's it's a theme as well. It has like it's juggling quite a lot of ideas. Like it's definitely definitely its main uh, theme is about like I suppose you call it first world problems where these people mm. don't need anything, and so then their next problem becomes just wanting to be special, and that's definitely the main uh, the main sort of thing that the film focuses on. Because you also get a little input from the adult characters who sort of show it from the flip side where it's less sympathetic towards them and saying that they just didn't want to really work hard in life and didn't mm. didn't want that like they would like I guess they, they were entitled and that's definitely the, the focus but it also has like a second a, a, a second theme which is about like how memory changes over time and how it's unreliable and, and things like that. And that's something that it keeps coming back to with the style. But there's just lots of fun little gimmicks as well. Like there's a bit where one of them's like a, one of them's an art student and he builds all of the, um, he builds all of the sets that they do for when they're planning the heist. And, right. and they have like characters walking through, like mini characters walking through the little sets to show oh, okay. you like how they envision it. Um, and things, Is it like they've made mini figures, or it's uh, a visual effects? It's a visual effect, yeah. Right. The the first one of the coolest moments is like right at the beginning where they they one of them there's like one who's definitely a ringleader, and the others just kind of go along with it, not really believing mm. they're ever going to do it. And the one who's like the ringleader is pitching it to to the other guys, and they show you this scene and intercut it with the different versions. So you're you're not watching like one guy's version of the story, then another guy's. You're like watching them all cut together. And okay. in one guy's version of the story, they're driving in a car, and in another guy's version, for some reason, they're at a par- house party. Like they remember it that differently. Okay. And um, that is weird. Yeah, and, that is interesting. And they start to like blur them together. So the guys who are sat at the party will be like they're sat down in the party, and one of the guys will go like turn left here even though they're just sat at a table because oh, it's like blurring okay. the two together. I like that. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. It's just, it's a stylistically clever film, but it's also quite deep. And it takes a story that could very easily be like just an outrageous comedy, like, I don't know, War Dogs or, or, or something like that, where it's like, this was wacky. Um, but instead it, it takes it quite seriously and finds a way into it that's... Um, a lot more sensitive and compassionate because it, it acknowledges that people like these ki- like the families of these kids have had their, their lives ruined and so it doesn't mm. like turn it into a comedy it's also cool from our perspective because it's it's a film about cinema to an extent because their whole perception of how the heist is going to go is based on them what they binge watch right. a load it's of crime based on films, heist films because they didn't yeah. it's pre-internet it's like well it's not pre-internet but it's pre-easily accessible internet right that's one thing that i wanted to get into the way that they research is they just go to blockbuster and rent all these crime films and watch <laughs> them and yeah. and that's why i was talking about with the style where like in the first half when they're planning it and when they've got this glorified version in their heads it's got like the slickness of an Ocean's Eleven. 
in, t- in the way, yeah. in the cinematography and the editing. And then when the bumbling, inept act actually happens, it becomes like shaky and a lot more awkward yeah, looking. I can, yeah, I can picture it just from the way you're describing it. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a really well-made film, a, re- a thoroughly entertaining one as well, and one that actually, more so than any other film this year, left me like actually thinking afterwards about what mm. it meant and the, the questions it raised. And I really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. And I would recommend if you do, if you do watch it and you do enjoy it, it's worth like looking up interviews with the director because he, he basically got access to the FBI files um, with like all their evidence boxes. And some of the stuff that they did is just amazing. Like the level of ineptitude, like they gave each other (laughs) code names, like based on Reservoir Dogs. So the Mr. Orange and Mr. Pink. But mm, in the doc- of they did. But yeah. in the document where they like put their plan, they put a key next to who's who. So it's Mr. Pink, Spencer, <laughs> and like Mr. O- that just labeled them <laughs> next to the go <code> names. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. I, I, I do want to see it. And I think when did it come out? It was a couple months ago. September. Though, right? It came out when Black Clansman mm. came out. At least over here. It did. Okay, so it will be available at some point relatively soon to watch at home. It's then. out in January. Perfect. Okay, cool. One thing that I wanted to lean into then, because the way you kind of described the idea of people of our like generation, or I suppose the previous generation, for the yeah, film, they're, they're like, like the idea that they a, a normal life is boring or lame, yeah. and the idea that you have to be special, and that's very much an idea that I kind of feel like has definitely been pushed way more because of the internet age, because everyone can compare each other's lives yes. way more easily, and so is it that so how does that kind of come into the idea of this pre-internet generation? And I suppose also, is it then commenting on this is even worse for the current generation in some ways? Um, so the the part of the reason why they feel the way they feel is because they've all just they've just left high school and gone to university, and mm. when and they're all at quite prestigious, quite um, you know, quite well thought regarded, quite well regarded universities where like the standard is like everyone's excellent. And right, so right. when, I mean, I know I, I, I don't like, know what the American term would, so for like England, that's supposed to be red brick. Yeah. Is, is the yeah. term, but I don't know what the American term would be. I, yeah. I don't either, but it's this, um, I mean, I kind of felt like that a little when I left, I went from like being at school where like, me doing well at school was was an achievement in of itself to going to somewhere mm. where everyone was at my level and it yeah and it it did make it it did kind of in anything that I was previously good at I was now a, in a room where that was what everyone was good at it went yeah. from being my yeah, well, thing it was everyone's to, specialist subject yeah. and also the fact <laughs> is that everyone was there to do that thing and it was everyone and also like well for instance in our examples i mean more so for you yours was film was your passion mm. and you were the one that was interested in film at your school yeah and i was like that guy and then yeah. you go to a room where everyone go to a guy. room where everyone loves film yeah and it's kind of it does make you feel unimportant yeah in, in a lot of ways but i can definitely understand it especially when like like they, you say like they go to blockbuster and things like that and you see the films of the like regular people performing these heists and mm. they think they can do it themselves yeah, I kind of find well, that and interesting. The thing, the thing that I thought when watching it was that, like, in terms of their plan, like their plan was quite solid. Like they right. did cover a lot of the bases and think of some quite clever things. It's only when it got put into action 
and like they panicked that they just mm. screwed up massively. But their plan was pretty <laughs> solid. Um, okay. The other thing is that the the sort of the he's not the main one, and I think the reason they chose to fo- there is a protagonist, and that's the one pre- played by the ringleader. Uh, no, the ringleader's kind of the second main character. The protagonist is the one played by Barry Keegan, who's the kid yeah, from yeah. Dunkirk and k- killing of sacred deer and stuff like that. And he's like, if anything, he's the exact opposite of a ringleader. He's the one who is just so passive and he's just going along <laughs> with it because... He's just going along because his friends are doing it. Yeah. And I think the reason they make him the uh, protagonist is probably because he is the most compassionate he's the one who he's the only one who really ever raises like maybe we shouldn't do this and so they kind of thought he was the most relatable but he is an artist he's the art student and the the way that he the actual guy when they're interviewing him the real uh spencer Mm. he says that um the the reason he felt the way he felt was because he was an artist and he looked at people like van gogh and all these other like legends who had gone through some great adversity or great struggle in life yeah. and that informed their art and he was just like i'm not going through anything like that so how can i how can i like produce something right. great if i've not had like a meaningful experience and he thought like maybe mm. maybe if i steal a book then <laughs> that'll give me but the thing is that i do i think that's a really interesting idea as well and, I, and also i think that it must be like I know I've ex- I've experienced aspects of that in my own life, yeah. and I assume that quite a lot of people have thought the same way. And um, I know you're not a big fan of his films, but um, I rem- also it reminds me of one line from um, uh, Moonrise Kingdom from Wes right. Anderson that I really liked, where the the kid goes um, like is talking to another, the the other main character who's an orphan, and they say like, "I wish I was an orphan because that makes you more interesting." Like right, I'm not yeah. very, very I'm not a very interesting person. Like you've got no parents that makes you interesting and it's kind of that idea of you read these like yeah biographies of famous people and they've always had like these hardships to go through they've always had something that makes them different and when you're not Norm. different but you'd still like to be like at that level it kind of makes it feel like there's something wrong with mm. you like if that makes sense and 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 i do find it's a really interesting idea of inadequacy that it's kind of hard to visualize or mm. unless you have like a, a a plot like this where people kind of ruin their lives in search of that yeah and I, I'd, I'd be interested in watching that yeah i mean i was already interested in just the idea of a heist film that goes wrong but the yeah. fact that it's uh genuinely well thought out and it's got it's got a bit more depth yeah and it's actually a heist film with themes other than just greed <laughs> yes it's kind of interesting because they're not really interested in the money like obviously mm. everyone wants the money but like when they're talking about it and when, like, other people are getting cold feet, it's not, like, think about the money or think about, like, living on that. It's just, like, it's just, like, think about being special, don't be a loser, and and that, that's that's their motivation. But I think what's important... I think you could have made a film that sort of is completely on their side in that regard, and that could have been annoying, but it, it, it leaves mm. it quite open to... It doesn't tell you how to feel about them. Because it does present the the like Dexter side of that, which is what a pathetic problem to have, like, and how kind of entitled it is to think I'm going to steal this just because it will make me feel good and make me right. feel like I've done something of of merit. 
it because they do hurt people and they and so it does sort of show that it doesn't it doesn't explicitly take their side it just sort of presents the situation and kind of lets you feel how you want about it which yeah. is good this is always a good way to do these kind of things yeah exactly and i like that the idea of the showing multiple perspectives because i think it leans even more into that yeah that idea i mean just uh not only just from the idea of retelling the story from multiple perspectives but like similar to um, again, like I, I said at the beginning, it doesn't sound that much like Itonia, but I'll go back to Itonia because in between that, they've also got these like documentary style mm. interviews with the actors, uh, with the actors yeah. pretending to be older versions of the characters, which it still has that feeling of a story. Like it's it's not going the full length that this film seems to sound like it mm. does, and people really praised that aspect of Itonia, but to me, it kind of. I wish it just went that step more of the idea of there are multiple stories to this mm. because there were aspects of the film where I felt like it was very one-sided. Right. It was so heavily pushed as a film where you get to see both sides and especially where the, the, like, the director and the writer were both saying so much, oh, this is a film of two sides and it didn't really feel that way. Right. So it'd be interesting again to get more into an actual story where it's not only the two sides of the characters but it's the sides of their stories versus them now as adults looking back well, on that, it. And that's the other thing. And they're actually um, looking back on it. Yes. Like, re- they, retrospectively. They seem very different, the the characters as they're portrayed and then the real guys as interview subjects. And the director uh, has, has talked about this a lot and he was saying that he didn't let the cast meet them, not because he, did, he wanted them to like make the performance their own explicitly, but because he thought, the meet like if you wanted someone to play you like 10 years yeah. ago having them meet you now wouldn't help because you're like a yeah. different person uh, yeah. completely and that's how it feels like the, the the versions that we see in the documentary um segments they're very they're a lot more um they're genuinely remorseful they're a lot more uh contemplative and a lot more mature and mm. a lot more sensitive and well, I imagine that probably happens to you if... In 10 years in prison. Yeah, exactly. I was yeah. going to say, they've probably gone to prison, haven't they? Yeah, and that's not a spoil. Like, you, you know no, they're in prison No, I just assumed that. Yeah. I would have just assumed that, yeah. But um, that's that's another... There's so many, like, interesting things to talk about with the film. Like, that's another one, the, the fact that it, it also... Another theme is about, like, how... Just how different you can be in ten years, and how you can look back at yourself as like a completely yeah. different person that did, did did things that you would never conceive of doing now. It's it's That's a very... thing is that I could look back on stuff from five years ago or three yeah. years ago probably, and I feel like that's Last a completely week. different person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Though, and it is the kind of thing, of, especially when you've had like we are just kind of because we're just going through life normally anyway. We're going through a system of of things, whereas I suppose if your life suddenly comes to a halt and yeah. you're stuck in a in a cell for ten years, then you probably do a lot more thinking and a lot more, not necessarily developing, but a lot more, like you said, just kind of introspective. Yeah, looking into yourself and what got you to that point. So I would I would find that really interesting. Yeah, I think that's like if I was to sum up, I think what I liked about it so much was that it was a film that took what could have been just a throwaway fun premise and actually turned it into something that was a lot deeper and a lot more meaningful than probably any other film I've seen this year 
and it was still as entertaining and sort of funny and right. slick and cool as a heist film as it as like the other version, the sort of like easier version of the film could have been. Mm. It still had all of those qualities. So I, I thoroughly recommend American Animals. And did you say it's currently your favourite of the year? Or I think it... so. It's, it's either that or Bad Times. I, I think American Animals, because I have... Oh, Bad Times at the El Royale. I was, like, I was trying to figure that out for a second. I, yeah. I think American Animals, um, because because just, just because of the sheer amount of stuff that it left me thinking about and the sheer amount of stuff that means I think I'll rewatch it more, just because mm. there's so much there like packed into it. Also, I think you've, you've probably got the whole benefit of it was surprising. Yes. Because you yes. got the... Um, because you kind of went into American Animals... Uh, you went into, sorry, uh, El Royale, knowing it was a Drew Goddard film. Yeah. And as we kind of talked about it in last week's episode, you go in with the expectations of, like, the Cabin of the Woods, like, the twist and everything, which then led to disappointment down the line. Yeah. Whereas you kind of go into a film like American Animals. I mean, I won't be going into it completely blind now because of the discussion. Because I've now oversold it, yeah. You've ruined it for me, yeah. But you go in, you expecting just a typical heist film, and then you mm. kind of get given something completely different and something that's actually thoughtful while at the same time maintaining that um, level of energy factor. and excitement, which yeah. you actually wanted from what you were expecting to get. So that's yeah. cool. I can very quickly talk about an, a film that I saw then recently. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, sorry to bother you. I don't know if you've seen any of the trailers or anything like that for this. Yeah, I saw the. I saw. I've seen a trailer. Looked good. Mm. In the tra- I, I thought it looked interesting, and it looked weird. But then I got. Then I read the YouTube comments, and they said you have no idea. <laughs> like so, it was like the, the yeah. trailer didn't. Oh wow. Okay. Um. It. It. It, it doesn't. It's. It's. Um. So if you haven't heard anything about it, so Sorry to Bother You is, is following the story of Cassius Green. He is played by an actor that I don't know the name of, le, and it's going to really bother t- me, but he's... Lay something? I'm sure it's L. He was the first victim in Get Out, Yeah, if that helps. He was the guy that actually says the titular line in Get Out. Um, and he plays Cassius Green, who's kind of like this down and out... No, Well, he's just struggling to get a job as most people of our generation are they're just struggling to get money and it leads him to getting a job at a call center and it just really follows him trying to work his way up the ranks in the call center while at the same time people in the call center are kind of rallying against this idea of how little they get paid and they want to unionize and they want to kind of push the upper management they want to strike and they want to stand up against the big guys whereas he's kind of in this idea of the ones at the top of the building kind of offer him a leg up and it's the choice of does he go with the leg up or does he stick with his the people that he's kind of come up with and help them as opposed to just help himself and um the aspect that i've just described is probably the least interesting aspect of the film it's the like the reason that i wanted to watch it was because of this kind of wacky comedy that you Mm. you kind of described so like for instance um in the trailer, whenever he calls someone on the phone, his desk is physically dropped into the same room as the person that he's on the phone yeah, with. And I it's the moments that. of like um, slightly surreal comedy that really, that are the highlights of the film, definitely, uh, where it's it's about mm. him kind of interacting with these people as well as the um, the concept of that they kind of introduce, which strangely I felt like they didn't, they could have used even more, was the idea of um, 
because he is black, he needs to have a white voice in order to sell mm. people stuff on the phone. Uh, when when it kind of started out, I was really enjoying these kind of surreal comedy moments. And then it gradually gets a tiny bit more serious and a bit more like paint by numbers version of that plot where, you know, the whole like, does the person choose their own success over the success of their friends? And it was kind of losing that originality. Becomes then, like a Disney Channel movie. That's like it sounds a bit like that. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, like it's adult. And then uh, around the halfway point, it does this complete veer into um, bizarro horror. Oh, it's uh, I would say horror. It was horror horrific to watch for about two minutes. Um, Harrison looks very confused. You're about the thing is, is that. To give an idea of how... Do you mean this in a positive way or a negative way? Yes, I do mean this in a positive way, which I'll eventually try to describe. But it has a a turning point that I didn't... Again, the kind of way that you've just ruined American Animals for me by saying how it was slightly different. I'm kind of ruining this for you by saying that there was this twist around halfway through. It's not necessarily a plot twist, but it's very much a tone change Mm. of... This is kind of like they had the kind of surreal comedy moments and then it goes very, it's very hard to describe without ruining it, but it goes could, could very, I ask a question? very strange. Yes. All of the strange elements in this film, because like I've seen that bit where the guy like, where he like you say comes crashing into someone's home, like, and that's like yeah. a visual representation of what's happening. Yes. Are all of the yeah. weird bits in this film like that, where it's kind of like a visualization or like in his head or, or, or something like that, where it's not literal or is it like, does the film go into like actual horror fantasy ish territory? Or is it just that it's kind of these quirky visual representations? Um, of, it's of very much, it sticks things. with the surreal, side of it throughout but the thing is is that with those uh surreal moments it blends into the reality uh so for instance when he does like drop into the the same room when he's on the phone with someone like for instance later in the film he drops in with someone that's on the toilet or something Mm. like that and he hands them the toilet paper right those kind of things like it is breaking the reality like and they are physically interacting um the moment where it has this very weird change that's completely real and that's right. why it's also kind of strange because it's something that's stranger than anything in the surreal sections that have been up up until this point, and it's completely real. It takes yeah. uh, I won't say very dark because we've talked about some very dark films on this podcast, but it's it's it was just uh, a surprising shock, and it was enough for like in the two minutes after it happened, I was very tempted to like message you saying like you'd really like this because it gets horrific uh, for a tiny oh, bit, good. or like it's very. Um, it's almost like it's sunny humor. Do you know what I mean? It's okay. always sunny. Like it's that, um, oh, I can't believe they went there. Every single highlight of the film was where it's weird. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing that surprised me like most about this film is how, besides the weird jokes on top, it's just a very standard plot. Like it is that Disney plot of, does he go off to the right. higher ranks or does he help his friends? I don't even have to tell you anything else besides that. And you can already build the plots A to B. Like uh, he does eventually go take the job and he makes loads of money, but then people, then he starts to fall out with his friends. So then at the last moment he goes on their side, like you already know the plot and it's annoying because there is this strange change in the middle. And I I feel really annoying that I have to be so vague about it because it is the thing of, if you were to watch it, it would be completely ruined to 
say the change. Okay. But it's a thing that it happens and that's the highlight. Like it peaks right in the middle. Right. And then it's a, it's a case of a film where it feels like if they had the budget, they could have gone even crazier. Or like if they had a bit of a scale to the story, they could have gone even crazier and a bit larger in scope with the idea. But then everything from there feels like it's just getting smaller and smaller. Like it's about um, like the collapse of this global company and it all happens on this one street in Oakland, which is kind of like yeah, too small scale. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel annoyed at how uh, badly I'm explaining this, considering that you actually talked about American animals really concisely, especially I? as even that I, I felt like you were. Well, thank but, you. Um, that makes up for the basic points that I wanted to get across with this film is that like all of its fantastical kind of like goofy fun elements were actually really good. Right. But the bits where anytime there was just like a written joke between characters or um, a plot element, it just felt really generic, which mm. kind of stripped away from the character of all the stranger moments. And I wish it was just the stranger moments dialed up with an actual plot that was decent on its own without the jokes. Right, okay. See, after hearing you talk about it, I am both more interested and less. <laughs> like, I before yeah. I was, like, mildly curious. Now I kind of, I do kind of actively want to see it, but I'm also expecting to be let down That's at the, the same that, time. Also, I think also now is that if, if it wasn't for the surprise of the yeah. middle section then I don't think I would have looked back as positively on the film as I do now. Mm. Because it is that whole, like, a step back moment. Like, it's, oh, like, this is where the film's going. Okay. And then it doesn't really go there as much as you'd want. Right. Like, it just feels um, like it's all very much like there are themes of, like, it's all very anti-capitalist and it's all very, like, we treat the workforce like uh, shit and we're kind of allowing ourselves to be treated that way because that's just the way things are and we mm. should kind of work together to raise ourselves up. And that, strangely, again, that's more conveyed in the bizarro comedy than it is in anything in the very generic plot because the, with the generic plot, I've seen it so many times and I know this story like the back of my hand. Like, I don't need to see another film with this. I wish that someone wrote a version of the script without the weird elements just so they could look at it and go, oh, this is quite a generic story, then we should change this up and then add back all the elements that actually make it unique. Right, I get what you mean. Yeah. I understand your point. And I think that it will stand out for that very shocking moment for a lot of people, mm. um, just because it is so unexpected. But I don't think, besides that, it will have a lot of staying power. Well, we've talked about two films that were very interesting, that had unexpected moments and that defied our expectations. Yes, exactly. There we go. That's the theme. I saw the nun. You sorry, you just completely cut out there. I didn't hear anything <laughs> thought, you said. I thought we were just doing a bit. No, <laughs> I said I saw the nun. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was silence, and I thought that that was just perfect. <laughs> well, there you go. I, I like that by the internet like failing. It sounds like I have more of a sense of humor. Yeah, That's good. No, I saw the nun, um, which. Is has just come out. Um, you can now get it on on home release, which seems very quick. Like I thought, I swear it only just came out at the cinemas. I swear I remember seeing the <laughs> premiere very recently. Yeah, like anyway, that, the, that the premiere was happening. Anyway, it's um a spin off of uh. Well, now we're in the stage where we're spitting off from the Conjuring two. 
So it's a spin-off of a sub-villain oh, from The Conjuring 2. I thought it was just a completely original thing. No, no. The the nun was a secondary antagonist in the second c- Conjuring film. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, <laughs> right. And this is the oh, is prequel it, it, backstory oh, to that Oh, do you mean character. like how Annabelle is in the first Conjuring yes, film? Yes, and, and Annabelle is, is in... like a tertiary antagonist in the first Conjuring film. Right. Uh, who and they... this is like the in- but this is like the intro thing that they start the second conjuring with, or is uh, it like it's, it's, it's... is it like Scooby Doo two where they suddenly introduce lots of different monsters and they're fighting you at the same time? How would I? Um, right. How much like Scooby Doo two is the conjuring <laughs> two? In terms of scariness, a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the nun is the nun is like Maroni in the Dark Knight. Like they're in it all the way through, and they are, and they are like an important part of the plot. But do you really remember that Maroni's in the Dark Knight, or do you just think about the Joker? Okay, okay. Now when you when you put it in comparison to do you like because I do remember him. But do you think about the accent? accent but no, but no, I don't really think about. Would you want a film explaining where he came from? So it's it's a prequel. It's set in the 1950s, but it's set in a in a, in a village that looks like it's the 1800s so it's very temporally confusing in that sense because it's like it's 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 as modern as the 1950s but everyone's in horse and cart is it america still no it's i think it's either like romania or something like that but everyone's got american accents so it doesn't matter but um it's <laughs> of course of course they do and they all speak yes, english yeah right. yes there's one yeah, there's one okay. who has like who comes in doing his like Borat accent so that you know it's meant to be foreign, <laughs> but then everyone else isn't doing it. <laughs> and it's the the story is so is so like threadbare. It's basically there's a there is a um uh what's the word? An abbey out in the middle of like a spooky mm. woods where a nun committed suicide recently and they, the Vatican sends a priest over to investigate it to, like, officially sign off and say, yes, this is haunted, rather than, like, apparently this... Wait. If we go by movies, this is something that the Vatican genuinely does. Like, they just send priests I would, around. I would like to see a TV show about the Vatican ghost squad. <laughs> like, they I just send priests places to decide if they're haunted. Not to do anything about it, just to go, yes. That's the, when you said, haunted. like, he's going to investigate, then that kind of makes sense to me. I didn't realise he was investigating how haunted it was. I thought he was just investigating the fact that one of their membership has committed suicide. No, no, no. Suicide. He just goes to either say yes or no and then leave. Like, that's his mission. Like, okay. to just go there and go, is Good. haunted, bye-bye. Uh, and he's accompanied by um, one of like the I don't know what the term is, but it's it's one of the nuns who hasn't yet taken her vows, which which means that she can still be an interesting character because she doesn't have to be pious and every like you know, pre nun yeah she's a pre nun and <laughs> and they they arrive at the uh, the abbey to investigate and then things happen it's. It's the whole film feels like like it's the spooky prologue for a modern day film. Like it feels like it should have right, been ten right. minutes. And I'm not exaggerating. The the sheer lack of incident and a consequence and plot progression is kind of amazing. It reminded me a lot of Open House. Like that level of just nothing oh, happening okay, that... and just stretching the whole yeah. thing out. Because 
you get the you get the necessary exposition to tell you who this priest is and what he's doing. You get the necessary exposition to tell you this lady's a nun, but she's not a nun yet. They arrive at the abbey. They spend like a day there where all the nuns are like stupidly creepy, like hanging around in shadows going like, no one visits the abbey. And then... Is there not one nice nun? No. That, like, oh, no, there's, yeah, there's, there's one nice, like, young nun who, whenever they, like, talk to the two investigators, all the other nuns, like, stare at them in the corner. Like, it'll cut to a shot of, like, one of the other nuns watching, like, like say, thinking, like, stay right. silent. And something happens to this young nun no. that either she's evil no. or... Nothing she's, happens. No, no, nothing okay, happens, she's just, Jack. She's just Don't the, be nice. No. She's just the one... Nothing happens. <laughs> she's just the one nun that will actually give plot and details. And the thing is, there's no real reason for the other nuns to be so cagey. Well, they're nuns. Like, normally... Like, like it's not like American Wealth in London where the guys, don't, the people in the moors don't tell anyone because they're trying to keep it a secret. There's no reason... They're just okay. cagey because they need the plot to be supplied in increments. Also, should shouldn't they? They should the be cooperative. Officially from yeah, the they should be so cooperative, yeah. but for no reason they're withholding information, and it's just it's, I cannot stress how uneventful the film is, and I don't mean that like in terms of just story. I mean even in terms of jump scares, they're so sparsely spread throughout the film mm. most of the film is just people wandering around in the dark and then the jump scares come and they're so tepid and lame so you can't even it doesn't even deliver what the conjuring and insidious films managed to do and i'm not a fan of those but this made me in retrospect think well you know what at least they kind of tried <laughs> at least they weren't yeah, this. it's yeah. it's such a nothing film it's so it's so just... I can't imagine it working for anyone. Like, when I look at one of the Conjuring films, I think this doesn't work for me, but I'm sure that certain people will be you creeped out. You can appreciate out. what aspects of it get people But with, when I was watching The Nun, I was thinking, is anyone going to be entertained by this? Because it's so boring, so slow, and so so devoid of anything. Okay, so with The Conjuring films... Is there kind of, because there is this kind of the original films as well as these spin-offs, is there kind of a, a law to everything? No. Like, is there any aspect? No, okay. There is. Okay. I'm tr again, I'm trying to find if there is something that would the tie people that are already fans of the franchise to like this one. Like, if it's giving more of a backstory or if it's okay, explaining so more I'll of give, I'll give it the evil in this there, world. Uh, the only way I can answer that question is by the closest thing I can give to a plot spoiler. So I know you don't give a shit about plot spoilers, but if someone listening, yeah, I, if someone listening cares, then do you reckon you can say it in thirty seconds? Yes. Okay, then press skip now. Right at the beginning of the first Conjuring film, the paranormal investigators are giving like a lecture, and in that lecture, they show video footage of a case that they investigated once, where this guy bit someone else, and that passed along a demon that then comes up in the Conjuring two. This film is basically an entire setup for that throwaway video footage they play in the lecture that introduces the main two characters in the first film. Okay. That's right, so okay. It, it ties into so a detail from the first film. It's a bit like Rogue One. Like it's it's like, you know, that that's about who got the mm. plans to them at the beginning. Know, it's, yeah. it's something very insignificant in the first film, but it connects very like literally up to the last second of it so it's enough that if it was a genuinely good film it'd be quite a fun yes. tie-in 
but if it's not, then it just becomes very uh, a very weak link. Yeah, it's it's something where I, okay. I I did I will admit, and this was more because I haven't watched the first Conjuring since it came out, and I went, oh, I remember that, and so my reaction was kind of a oh yeah. I, I I do I do remember this rather than like yeah as opposed <gasps> to uncovering some great truth yeah. yeah I will admit I kind of went okay that's kind of neat it doesn't really make a mm. difference to anything but okay that well is going to run pretty dry for the spin-off soon isn't mm. it oh well that, to be honest I don't think plots a problem with well, these the, the stupidest thing about the whole conjuring verse is that when the first conjuring. <laughs> came out they sold they marketed it heavily as a true story like this is a real haunting right, and now, and now not, it's yeah. like of oh, spin-offs everywhere for the evil demon mm. nun and there's bits like there's a bit in this film where they show a flashback within the flashback because the whole film is a flashback that literally oh you'd hate the way this film opens by the way it opens with a previously on where it shows you clips from The Conjuring 2, like okay. a TV show. It shows you snippet, oh, like, great. like no, but not like... Yeah, it's basically just saying, remember this film, yeah, you but like not that like, one. Get not like in more. some films where they might... I'm trying to think of um, uh, X-Men First Class, where X-Men First Class opens with the same opening as the first X-Men, where it shows you Magneto in the concentration camps, and it's a contained scene that it replays. Right. This does a literal TV previously on, like small mm. incidental <laughs> things before the logo, and then the logo comes up and it goes, and now watch the actual movie. <laughs> yeah, okay. But it's, it's, it's completely unnecessary because this is a prequel anyway, so you don't need to know what previously happened in The Conjuring 2 because what happened in The Conjuring 2 doesn't make a difference to this film. It's before The Conjuring 2. But... um. There's a pre, there's a flashback sequence where they tell you how the Abbey got haunted in the first place, and all the way through this flashback sequence, I was thinking, so are we still in the based on a true story verse? Because there's a, right. a an evil Baron summons a giant snake monster, and then a load of soldiers run in with swords and go like ah and start fighting the snake, and yeah. and I just thought, have we just completely abandoned okay. that whole? the shocking true story thing of snake <laughs> monsters <laughs> looked like something from monty python oh 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 and i just remembered i just remembered because this is this is something again where i thought oh jack would hate this the um it has i love to hate or just hate no you just hate the score is easily the worst score i've heard all year because it sounds like it sounds like the score you would use not in the nun but in the like when scary movie 7 does a parody of the nun it's the music they'd use because every time the evil nun shows up you get like mongolian throat singers going oh <laughs> and it is so lame right. and so laughable so every time something creepy in the film happens you've just got someone going oh because it's vaguely yeah, religious. Yeah, it was so cringe-inducing. Is, is that the actual score, yes. or is it like a sting whenever she no, appears? No, it's the score. Okay. Because <laughs> it's in the non-spooky moments as well, like mm. co like when it's establishing shots of people on the cart riding up to the Abbey. Good. Um, the reason that you watched this film was because it the director, Colin Hardy, did another film that you really liked, right? Mm. Yeah. Could I, you tell his style in this one, or was it... No. no? Uh, no. no, there was, it was just, uh, 
it was completely a here, Corin, make this movie, have some money. Thanks, okay. bye. Like director for hire job. No style, no authorial like fingerprint or anything. Just a just a film he made. Right. To do like a very quick so that you're as opposed to what you normally do, where you're not all negative, what was it like in like a really quick bit about what was it that you liked about his last film? Though? Um, the Hallow was a good old school creature feature movie with great practical effects and really tight, suspenseful set pieces that um, felt creative and felt like effort had gone into them. And it all felt like the like a product of love. Like someone right. wanted to make this film, wanted to make like a Evil Dead type film, and and they did it with effort and care and affection. And the nun feels like that same person got handed millions of dollars to just crank out some shit, and they did it over the course of a couple of months. <laughs> right. Okay. It was because it did feel like a very quick turnaround. I I have no. Uh, I, re- even... I have. And having watched the film. I would be shocked if it wasn't because it's all yeah. in one location. There's no, uh, and there's not so little happens that they just really needed to get a few shots of people wandering around in the dark at night. Right. <laughs> That's there's, there's so little here that, that required effort towards that. To give it a little bit of positive towards the very, very end, there is a sequence where they go into like an underground labyrinth that whilst not scary or effective, at least had had like something that was conceptually a little different and a little weirder with these like faceless nun creatures following people around that was I don't know, it was it made a nice change of pace from just the endless sequences of people wandering around waiting for doors to slam. So that's my 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 middling sort of like half-hearted positive is that towards the end, I don't know, it got a little bit better. <laughs> there was an improvement to be had. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's a big pile of wank. Cool. <laughs> that's that's a one for the DVD cover right there. Um, <laughs> maybe one day, again, sometimes we'll do a film where we both manage to see it before we start recording. Maybe one yeah. day, if there's a film that's popular enough that we would do go out to the cinema at the same time. But um, uh, I think that we're just going to wrap up now. I was just going to say, we we had a theme for the first two, and then you just did The Nun. (laughs) So that ruined... Uh, The the theme of The Nun was how it was not in keeping with the theme. (laughs) Oh, how very... um, (laughs) I subverted uh, your expectations. That's the term. Yeah, you were so subvertive. You subverted by introducing a pile of wank to the discussion. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Um, Again, as... State, I feel like I'm stating this a lot, but we are trying to turn them around a bit quicker now. And even even eventually we will run dry of the films that we have seen that the other one hasn't. Um, we'll both yeah. watch Aquaman. <gasps> we can. I, I, I've played that Pitbull song about three times today. <laughs> just to kind of comprehend it. Um, we could just do a whole episode on that on song, song if we want. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we could. Um, anyway thank you very much for listening uh, yeah we have Harrison still doing reviews up on the YouTube channel and these episodes will eventually go out on the YouTube channel if you prefer to listen there 
Uh, we also have the other podcast, Backstray Scripts, and you can follow us on social media. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, bye. Every time, every time you, <laughs> you, you don't have one, I, you know it's coming. You know it, how we have to end this somehow. I feel like it's better if I wing it. Can you do it as a, Mon- uh, as a Mongolian monk <laughs> throat singing by... Oh, bye. <laughs> Good. Spooky. That, that shivers. Spooky.